This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Jill Rappaport. And you know, this is one of those times that I am thrilled that it's just radio, okay? Because literally, I have been up probably most of the night, I would say till 4, 4.30 a.m. And I am sitting here with eyes half open. Mark Winter, the wonderful creator, the man behind Pet Life Radio can see me. I'm sorry about this, Mark. Excuse me. I'm exhausted, but it all is because of my wonderful, beautiful Petey. He's 15 years old. He's my American bulldog. Sadly, he's suffering from cancer, but happily, and I say this in the truest form, happily, he's doing well today. You can only be grateful for every day you have. Here he is, 15 years old, you know, a really difficult cancer, and he's able to eat and to kiss me and to wag his tail and to show me love. But At night, he is a little more anxious. He also suffers what's called sundowner syndrome, which in a minute we're going to have on our wonderful Bill Berloni. He'll explain that to you. So it's basically they can't differentiate between night and day. So he has trouble sleeping at night. So that combined with his medical condition, you know, makes him a little stressful at night. And of course I want to be with him. And so I'll go downstairs and I rub the edges of his ears, which is like a very good massage for dogs. And I kiss his nose and I give him ice cold water, which he's, he absolutely loves. I have a fan on him, the air conditioning. I massage his feet, his paws. <laughs> this dog gets treated much better than people. And let me remind you that If a person did this to me, if a person woke me up every 15 minutes, can you get me this? Can you get me that? I can't sleep. I might be a little ornery, but for my dogs, never. It's never an inconvenience. It doesn't matter that I'm up all night. I love them so much. I would do anything. So again, thank you listeners for not being able to see me. (laughs) Mark, I'm sorry again. (laughs) He's looking at me now, very tired. And when we come back, my partner in crime the Jill Bill section, Bill Berloni, we will address sundowner syndrome. And we are going to have a very special guest coming up, comedian Anna Gasteyer. Stay tuned. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hi, welcome back to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Jill Rappaport. He doesn't listen. He never did. And in the open, I discussed and apologized to my wonderful friend, Mark Winter from Pet Life Radio, because my eyes are half open. I've been up all night taking care of my beloved Petey, and you can hear the barking in the background. This goes on all day and night in my house. But Bill Berloni, the Broadway trainer extraordinaire who takes rescue animals, makes them into superstars. He's an amazing behaviorist, an author, and he has the best advice for training 
your beloved animals in the most humane, loving way. And Bill, my apologies to you because (laughs) I'm talking with my hands over my eyes. I haven't slept a wink, but I started to touch on something very interesting, this sundowner syndrome. I was up all night with him and I was told a few months ago to try melatonin which obviously humans take, and it's supposed to help with our sleeping patterns, especially, you know, at night, if you can't sleep, it's supposed to be like a nice, you know, natural way of sedation, you know, a non-prescriptive way of helping us relax and go to sleep. And all my vets said, it's great and fine for dogs. So PD's oncologist, who's taking care of him while he's battling this disease, said, why don't you try a very light dose. He weighs almost 80 pounds, but start out with three milligrams of melatonin. Then you can increase to six. You really can go up to 12 on a big dog, I was told. But last night I did that. And I have to tell you, it was worse. He was up all night. (laughs) Yeah. Every time I would tiptoe upstairs thinking he was now starting to snore and he would be good for a couple hours, I'd hear woof, woof, woof. And immediately I'd run downstairs and he'd be happy to see me. I waited till he fell asleep again crept upstairs and all over again. What do you think about melatonin? Is there anything else you can recommend or do you think that's the way to go? Well, when you treat dementia or Alzheimer's, what you do is you can give supplements to help keep the mind healthy, you know, antioxidants, omegas, that helps keep our mind working, you know, and a lot of vets will prescribe medication for it. And obviously with everything PD's going through, we can't be giving him more drugs. That'll only right. hurt him even more. But in addition to melatonin, there are some other natural things we can do. Number one, phototherapy. One of the things they think is that, you know, as the sun goes down, our dogs start getting confused. They don't, they don't understand. And so they suggest leaving the lights on full tilt all night long. That's helped some dogs not get confused by the change in the light. And they don't remember that we're going into nighttime. So that's one therapy. That's so interesting not to interrupt that you said that because he's in the living room. I turn the lights off, but I have the TV on. But right next to him in the dining room, the lights are on. And I've noticed when the lights go off in the dining room, when I turn it where it's dark, he's very stressed. So that's why I always leave the bright dining room light shining. But you're saying leave the whole room on. Flood the room with light so that in his mind, there's no change. You know, he doesn't see any change in the environment. Such great advice. Same thing with uh, leave calming music on. You know, some people leave a television on, but if they're in a state of confusion and they hear voices that aren't yours, that will also agitate them and maybe make them feel disturbed and keep them You're brilliant because I've been leaving television on, you know, whether it be CNN or, you know, some other news station, what's on the news now? You know, if you're not hearing, you know, frightening stories, you're hearing gunshots or sounds that might be frightening to him. So you're right. So I should definitely take off the news, which is stressful for us. (laughs) So you can imagine the dog hearing these sounds and put on music. Exactly. And there are other natural remedies that help sleep, kava and valerium. But like anything you give your dog, you have to check with your vet to see if those Mm -hmm. would be appropriate for him. You know, and the third thing is you read a lot about it and they say exercise them so you tire them out. You can't do that for poor PD, but massage him, help calm him down at night, you know, talk to him, massage him, just make him feel rest assured that he's going to be safe. Yeah, because for so many senior dogs that suffer from the syndrome, you can't exercise them too much. So many senior dogs have trouble walking. So the last thing you want to do is be trying to run them around your property. You can't, you know, they go out, they do their business, they come in. So you recommend massage, Mm -hmm. soothing music, natural supplements. Once you consult your vet, of course, and just being there. Phototherapy, lights on, keep the lights on. 
keep the lights on. Oh, I love you. As always, the best advice. Now, you know, we have a very special guest coming up, someone you have a connection with, Anna Gaster. Do you want to quickly tell us how you met Anna and then we will bring her on? Absolutely. Back in 2009, I was asked to do a show on Broadway called The Royal Family. And she was in the cast. And although she had nothing to do with the dogs that were in the show, I remember her always coming and saying hello to the dogs at our dressing room and just being generally a wonderful human being. And then fast forward to two summers ago, the summer of 2018, the Hollywood Bowl does Annie. So I went out to do it and Anna played Miss Hannigan, the mean person who runs the orphanage. And we reconnected. We talked about dogs. Her family were there. They all hung out with us in our dressing room. So I just know her as a real dog lover and a wonderful human being. That is so interesting. You have so many great connections with these people, you know, through their pets. And coming up, we are going to hear from Anna Gasteyer in a moment. Stay tuned. Want to know who the latest trendsetters are in Hollywood? How about Irish setters? Find out who's been spotted with spot, chowing with their chow, and shopping for Gucci with their Poochie. Get, get the scoop on all the latest celebrity pet patter right here. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Jill Rappaport, and we are joined now with the wonderful Anna Gasteyer. You know her. She was on six seasons of SNL. She's an actor, a singer. She's been on sitcoms. She is so talented. I want to hear about the singing because I had no idea. I've heard a little Wow. Uh, you are really good. And Bill was telling us about your Christmas album. So, Anna, welcome. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> nice to have you here. And, of course, you know Bill Berloni. You guys go back. And we all share our commitment and our passion to our pets. And let's talk about that. Your love of animals. Yeah. How it happened. Which one is in your life now and how they've changed your life. So boy, it's such a great opening question. I mean, I grew up with animals like so many of us and I grew up in the city. So it was always a kind of a mishmash of my parents actually bred Sealyham Terriers for a while, which are the really cute, the ones that are in all the Maurice Sendak books, the Where the Wild Things Are books actually paid for a year of private school tuition for me actually with those puppies after the, after they bred our, our dog, Rosie. And then we had strays. We had a lot of rescues. I mean, back then you just called them strays because you just right. found animals in the middle of the street or whatever. Or somebody right. followed you home. And then my husband and I, when we first got together in LA, again, Los Angeles seems to be more of a, a stray community that certainly than New York City, where I, I have not run across animals just idly in the street. But we, our dog found us at my husband's studio, just in the lobby, just a generic, fantastic our first child, so to speak. And then likewise, on a film set, a cat who was, we thought was really old and starving and who had a collar, but who a bunch of the women, it was a house, it was a set. So like a bunch of the women who were working in the props department basically eventually went over and found who they believed to be the owner. And she was um, a drug addict. She was just like completely out of it and not really, she was like, oh, he's sometimes my cat. He's sometimes not. So we sort of intervened and, and that kitty came home. And again, I thought he was old. I said to my husband at the time, I was Charlie, my husband now, but at the time I said to him, I think that cat's really, really old. Like, I think he's, 
you know, his, his fur was like mangy and we took him to the vet and he was, he was only like a year, but his body was so sort of like beat up. And we ended up having that cat for that cat truly had nine lives, as they say, survived the LA earthquake, jumped out from the second story window of our apartment, got hit by a car. I mean, all kinds of things, but he lived for, he lived for 15 years. So that was, yeah, he was a great long love of our life cat. Then we had kids Actually, he died of lymphoma about a year after my eldest, who's now 18, was born. And then we took him in it, and then we adopted another cat. I don't even know how I found him. I mean, we like it was like sort of the the married person's Tinder is to like scroll through that pet finder app sometimes. Right, right. Well, what <laughs> and- I love is that as a child, you know, you came from a family that was very involved with breeding. Now, you know, today, so many people, breeding is like a four-letter word to a lot of people. Yeah. To me, you know, I mean, we, we like, and not that there's not wonderful breeders out there. There's a lot of very reputable yeah. breeders. It's just, I'm all about rescue and adoption. And look of how course. you've become. And Bill, I mean, we all support rescue and adoption. It's so interesting. How did you realize when that tide turned that rescue was the way to go. And it really became part of, I think just because we always had a combination, it wasn't like my parents were like part of the dog breeding community or anything like that. My mom just fell in. She saw the Westminster show. She saw this prize winning Celium. She loved Maury Sendak's books. And she was like, I have to have one of those dogs. So that was sort of where that came from. And because they were so unusual here, I think she was encouraged to breed the dog. I think they were like, she's got show blood in her or what have you. And I don't know. So she kind of got invested. It was, I think she had two litters ultimately and then spayed the dog. It wasn't like a big like undertaking. It's not like my parents are like every dog they've had since has been a rescue animal and so forth. So yeah, there you go. And so, yeah, same thing with us. Like I speaking up good, good, good. (laughs) Yeah. It's just never occurred to me to be what, you know, like to do anything but rescue. There's too many animals out there that need homes. I mean, there's plenty of purebred animals, frankly, that people rescue. So you you hear about that all the time. Talk about that all the time that people say to me, I can't get what I want in a shelter. I said, what do you want? You can get anything. And listeners, excuse me, all my dogs are very excited about this topic. They're all chiming in now, as you can hear in the background. But I have to tell you, you know, Bill and you go back due to this love of animals and your connection is very special. And tell us about that, Bill, because you said that you knew the minute you met Anna, her soul and her love of animals, you had a very special connection. Yes. Member of the royal family. Yeah. Rosemary Harris and that whole wonderful group. And um, I remember used to stop by and say hello to the dogs. Always. And, you know, a lot of people don't go out of their way. Just come say hello to the dogs. So I just knew then. And then obviously when I saw you again on Annie at the Hollywood Bowl, you said, Bill, can you bring the dog to my dressing room, please? Well, people probably say this every time they talk about Bill, but what's so wonderful is that I've worked on film sets with animals in some cases, and the trainers are sort of standoffish, and there's kind of an awkwardness. And what I love about Bill's relationship with his animals is that it's so familiar. And even when they're working, there's a relationship with the dog that is very, very personal and very, like, I use the word familiar on purpose, like like it's family for him. And so, um, you know, certainly on, on stage, that's always true that when you're working 
working with a, they've got a big job to do dogs and animals. It's a daunting prospect having to make an animal work in front of a live audience, but there's such a sort of comfortable vibe about it. It doesn't feel of another planet, if that makes any sense. I don't mean to be, you know, sell anybody upriver, but there are times that you work with animal trainers and you're like, geez, this is kind of a weird vibe. And, and Bill's so just a member of the cast and so is the animal he's working with, which is cool. And Bill, you are the best. Now, what would you do with Oscar who won't stop yelping during our interview? What? Give me some gentle tips. Oscar, be quiet. What do I do? <laughs> um, put him farther away from the microphone. <laughs> would you believe He's in the other side of the house. He's a little dachshund. His voice carries. Yeah. When my Our, dogs bark at the theater, I go, give me a dressing room farther away. I mean, he's got a voice. That's their job. Yeah, it's so true. Our neighbor at Fire, we have a house on Fire Island where we've come to hang and spend. My husband's working from home. So we're like, let's just at least go somewhere in the country and hang. And, and when we first got here, Gloria, our current dog, is um, she's a terrier mix, a rescue, and she is vocal. She's incredibly vocal. And, you know, we do what we can, like motivate with treats and so forth and so on. But it's so funny because our neighbor just keeps popping by with like training tools that he thinks might help. And like, hey, <laughs> <subtle>. <laughs> hey, guys, I just wanted to drop something off for me. You know, use it if you do. Whatever. We're like so clearly driving him crazy. But at a certain point, I was like, look, she's doing a lot better than she was. It sounds really different here than it does in Brooklyn. It's there's a <laughs> lot of birds, you know, so, so for like the first week and a half, it was just like a five alarm fire most of the time. And she's chilled out now, which is great. Well, how has she helped you? I mean, you have your family, you have kids. How has the dog helped you during this pandemic? I, we've spoken to a lot of people and even Joel Gray was saying he's without a dog now and he really misses that wow. connection, especially during this time. I think it's been huge for people. I mean, I will say, so about Bill's met my dog, Gloria. She's um, spirited, as we say. She's my most spirited child. She's very high energy, very high maintenance in some respects, really funny, total character. And, and as she gets older, she sort of grows into her spiritedness in this kind of delightful way. She's not a dud by any <laughs> stretch of the imagination. She's very smart, you know, and we I call told a lot of ginger. We love she's ginger. Got lot, she's got a lot of ginger, <laughs> a little wasabi too, a little wasabi. <laughs> but when we got her, my, my husband was vehement about, you know, not getting a dog because he knew that he would become the full-time caregiver. <laughs> And we live in an apartment and he was like, you know, who's going to walk the dog? And of course, all my children, you know, everybody just raised their hand and pointed at him. And then finally, my daughter, I guess she was a sophomore. And the way that she finally won the argument, the ability to get a dog was to say she didn't want to be and I quote, one of those weird people in college who had never had a dog. <laughs> so we were like, okay, fine. It is going to be good for them. And it's been, so that's my sort of like topic sentence that I do think it's been really just good for them. All the things that you read, you know, great sense of responsibility great sense of connection. And, you know, from my son, who's now 12, I mean, he wakes up every morning and walks her with great pride. And um, he's actually walking her right now without objection. You know, they love feeding the dog. I mean, all those things that initially you argue about have come, we've come around on. And then during the pandemic, it actually gave us again, my kids were, were homeschooling, like, like so many kids, and it gave the day great structure, because to take a kid who played basketball and soccer and all these things every day, all of a sudden, at least we had the dog walks to get him outside. And he kind of, he really came to look forward to him. He did every day at noon from March through, through June, the lunchtime walk. So it's been good for the dog too, I would say. I think having all of us around and having a sense of routine and 
you know, she's, they're pack animals. She certainly is. She's very, very attached to us. In fact, we all went for a walk without her this week and felt so guilty about it because we realized we had not really gone anywhere without her, you know, in months. And she was sadly sitting at the front door when we got back. But, um, <laughs> but it's so beautiful to see and hear about this connection because I don't know what I would do without my animals. And I can tell you firsthand, I don't think I could be with a human like this 24-7. My dogs yeah. never get people. That's another story. But it <laughs> is amazing how our animals never seem to irk us in the way that sometimes humans can. Am I right? That's true. Although, like I said, she's spirited. She's capable of irk. She could be irksome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, first of all, I heard a little bit about this Christmas album. And obviously, everybody's career is in a different position now. You may have things in the works, but you really can't move forward the way we're used to moving yeah. forward. You know, people say your name, they look at you. I mean, you for years, I mean, your characters were hilarious. Because you are a comedian, people expect you to be funny. Is that a pressure for you that when you meet people, oh, that's the one I love. Oh, that character. Do you feel that yeah. pressure or no? I mean, sure. I Yes and no. Of course, you're, I mean, it's a privilege is what it is. It's a, I feel really lucky. I've had incredible opportunities, including the one that I did with Bill to do Annie at the Hollywood Bowl. I mean, I've done work I'm really excited by and proud of. And so I feel pretty excited when my resume comes into the room with me because honestly, people tend to just make happy assumptions as opposed to negative ones, which I'm, I'm very, very grateful for. And to be on SNL, Saturday Night Live, for all of those seasons, I mean, you're talking the best of the best, the brightest, the best, you know, and I've had the opportunity to interview so many of the cast members over the years. I've met Lauren Michaels, and he scared me. (laughs) He's intimidating. Very nice. Yeah, he's a reserved guy. Yeah, for sure. I was a little nervous. Thank God I'm not a a comedian. But no, he was, because he's so brilliant. I mean, look what he's created here. But your characters and the singing part, boy, you're a fabulous singer. Thank uh, you. Oh, you really are. I mean, will we be putting you on the spot if we had you belt out a little something? Yes, you- I'm not going to belt anything out. <laughs> It'll sound terrible. Well, you are really a great singer. And Bill was telling me a little bit about this Christmas album. Yeah. Uh, So it was released last year. It was, um, it's kind of what it falls in the category. We call it like happy jazz. My producer, Julian Fleischer, who's sort of a, who who works in the theater and, and downtown nightclub scene. And I have worked together for a long time making kind of modern jazz standard arrangements. And the goal was to make an album, a Christmas album that sounded old fashioned that felt like of a swing era that that had a little cheek to it, a little attitude. I mean, one of the reasons I'm drawn to music from the late 50s and early 60s is because it has so much style and so much humor in it. So often lyrically driven, a great American songbook songs are very lyrically driven. And so I'm able to bring my comedy into the music, which is a nice thing. So I don't have to live in these kind of strict lanes of the vocalist and the comedian. It kind of can fall into the same world. And the music, we, I wrote the title track, Sugar and Booze, and the album's called Sugar and Booze, which is, you know, obviously the best things about the holiday. Although at this point, I'm not <laughs> sure anyone will be looking forward to it after the pandemic. We've all been eating and drinking so much that maybe... But what yeah. else is there to look forward <laughs> to, right? An- animal Sugar and Booze. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, but, you hit the nail on the head with that title. But it's funny, my husband actually made a rule a long time ago when we would meet new people that he said he was like we really can't get close to people unless or we don't seem to unless they like animals food and musicals like that's sort of the basic rules if if somebody just says like oh i hate musicals like it's right away i'm like i'm not i don't know what i'm gonna talk about with this person you know or or whatever i understand sometimes people are confused by musicals because people burst into song during them but but at the same time you can't hate that 
Like that I mean, can't, what does that, that say about you? If you hate it, it means you're not a fun person. Uh, and let me tell you, <laughs> if I know somebody is not an animal person, Bill, yes. let's talk about this. I mean, it's very interesting. They don't even have to tell me they're not an animal person. I kind of pick up on that right away. Yeah. There's a different vibe for people that love I've animals. I've never, ever understood that. Like a complete aversion. Again, it just seems too exclusive. It just makes no sense to me. It seems bigoted. And Bill, don't you feel that way too? When you meet someone, if they don't know who you are initially and the topic comes up, you can tell immediately where they stand. And it's amazing how there is an immediate connection when you know that they love animals. And yeah. it's just naturally, we're just not connected when they're not animal people. Right, Bill? Exactly. And I feel sorry for them. I mean, they're lacking a sense of empathy that animal lovers have, you know, and I do. And so, you know, the fact that all our kids should have a pet. So we teach, they learn empathy and responsibility Mm -hmm. and all those good things, you know, that makes them better humans. Teaches them about compassion and caring. And like you said, they grow up to be better people because they've learned at a very young age how to care for something and how to take care of something. And it, and especially animals in need, you know, when they know they've given a home to an animal that didn't have an opportunity or was waiting in a shelter for years, that's a great lesson for a child. Yeah. And it is, it's a kind of unconditional love with animals, obviously. I mean, you know, you talk about staying up all night with your animal last night who was sick. I mean, I think it's a different kind of love than it's family love, unconditional love. It's the love that you marry or that you are with for for your whole life. It's a, I'm with you through thick and thin. And I think that is a really important lesson above and beyond the responsibility of just, I will love you day in and day out. I will love you if you, you know, screw up and you eat my Lego guy, I will still love you on the other side of it. And there's something really profound about that, I think, for kids. And it's why we grieve so hard when we lose them. It's like losing a family member. Yeah. Yeah. Not like is. I mean, it is. I I lost a pet in March and there isn't a day that goes by. I always say that when one of your pets goes, definitely a piece of your heart goes with them. And you're a much better person for having them in your life, but you're just never really the same when they leave us. I mean, they're always with us, but boy, do I miss my little Ruby every day. And I say, I can sometimes, I swear, I, you know, I have another dog on top of, you know, five dogs here, but I swear I hear her bark and I hear her sounds like it's, it plays games with your mind because they've been so a part of our lives that it not to have them there all of a sudden is just really emotionally debilitating. So it's just incredible. And again, you know, we're all here. We all feel the same way. And it's uh, just so great, Anna, to meet you and hear about your beautiful love with your and your connection with your animal and also how your family understands the importance. Yeah, Yeah, they definitely do. That's so great. I just want to shout out to Anna. You know, there are people who see a dog or cat on the street and walk by. And I didn't know, Anna, that the pets you had before were actually ones on the street that you picked up and took in. I mean, most people will just pick it up and bring it to the shelter, but you saw an animal and stuck with it, not knowing what the future was going to be. I mean, (laughs) for, uh, yeah, I guess it was, it was naive too, and just um, optimism. And we had the time and space for that in our lives. And you do, you learn, right? We had in LA, we had a really mellow pit mix, and then we actually adopted a pretty aggressive one. And so we learned, oh, that's a whole different training strategy. And there's different relationships with just like kids, like some kids like need more structure and some, you know, some need less and um, the needs are going to change accordingly. No, I actually used to really, before we got Gloria, our dog right now, I used to kind of throw out into the, into the universe. Like I would love for an animal to come into my life. It's strange. I've only seen one stray cat in my neighborhood ever in New York. It's just not, I think there are organizations, obviously, including the one that we got our first cat from that helped 
catch feral cats and care for them and things like that. But yeah, they're, about they're- 20 years ago, the feral cat movement really took place in New York and they've done a great job, you know, whether you can take feral kittens and rehabilitate them. And, but most of the adults, you have to just trap and release, you know, so yeah. put them back out. So that's why but the cat population is down. Right. But isn't it still so dire? I was told it was like five cats to every one dog. I mean, it's really still quite a daunting situation with feral cats and kittens. There's just an abundance of them. And that never in New York City everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I know like my brother lives in East Lansing, Michigan, and they just oh, adopted I school there. Oh, you did? Yeah. They, my yes. brother and sister-in-law teach there. So, but they just adopted two that again, just a neighbor had like a kitty had a mama had shown up and that's how it was when I was little, like a mama would show up and just have a bunch of kittens under your porch or whatever. And, and that, so they just adopted two from her, from that litter. Cause I was like, where did they even come from? They're like, Oh, our neighbor, you know, but in New York city, you don't see that as much. I think as you used to. Well, it's so great what you have done, opening up your heart and your home to these animals. And obviously, Bill, you know, you do this every day. You work with these animals every day. And it's so hard to see these animals in need and want them to get a home so badly. But we always talk about it's got to be the right home. So obviously, you've found your wonderful fur angel. Bless you for doing that. And Anna- I do want to say one more thing just to tag on to what Bill said, and I sort of should have mentioned this to begin with. When my son was little, we were visiting really little, like a toddler. He was very uncomfortable with dogs. We didn't have a dog. There were a couple in our building, but they were small. And we were visiting people with an older dog who was sort of losing his sight and very sensitive. And I should have had a better eye on it, and I didn't. And my son toddled by him, and the dog snapped at him and broke a little bit of skin on his finger. And it was, you know, it definitely fostered a terror of dogs thereafter, which is completely understandable if you're a toddler and you're bitten. And that was actually one of the reasons it was very important to me that we get a dog in our house because the fear of dogs is a really real fear. And I think people definitely, it's a legitimate fear. They're animals. And if you grow up in a situation where you haven't had a nurturing relationship with animals, it can be scary. And so I'm really glad that we sort of saw it through because our dog, you know, as a puppy particular was really mouthy and sort of learning to work with her and to adapt to that and to kind of learn the rhythms of how when she's snappy and when she's not, it's been really good for my son. And now he, he's such an overt dog lover, but I feel grateful for that because I think without that, he would have grown up very, very afraid of dogs. Oh, and not only that, what about the message that, you know, you saw a problem and you addressed it and you dealt with instead of just saying, oh, this dog isn't for us and throwing it back into the shelter system. And, you know, these animals, look, the most important thing that it's not about a home, it's about the right home, but you got to give them a little time. I always tell people when you walk into a shelter, the dog you see sitting there crouched, scared at the back of the cage is not the animal you're going to have two months from now in your home. Of course. You give them a chance to get adapted, to get active just like you would anybody, any human being. So people sometimes give up too fast and there's nothing worse than an animal that's been discarded over and over again that wasn't given a proper chance, right, Bill? Because that just puts more fear in them and damages them more and makes it harder for them to get adopted the next time, right, Bill? Exactly, exactly. And that's why also, you know, I want people to go to shelters where they have some background on the dogs and can actually give you the advice to help make that match, you know, so you don't have to, mm-hmm. it's not a blind guess. No, it's great advice. And again, I cannot thank you both for being here. Obviously every week, Bill Berloni is with me and a guest there. It is a pleasure to have you here. You are just as wonderful as what I thought and seen on television. And even though I couldn't get you to sing, I'm going out to get <laughs> the <Good> Blues. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen, it's all on Spotify. It's all on Spotify. I won't make any money. Just go enjoy it. Oh, well, it's great to have you here. And again, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us on Rappaport to the Rescue. And as I always say, everybody, stay positive. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.